Greetings ladies and gentlemen, Jason Zelda here with a quick update about this Answering the Atheist video. When I posted it the first time, YouTube flagged the video because there was a small section where I dealt with ants and one of the videos that I used dealing with that was flagged as being copywritten material. So they, uh, they flagged the video and basically is telling me I have to take that section out. So what I've done is I've gone in, I've taken that section out. The other video on the ants is still in. There was no problem with that. But the second video that I did on the ants, they said was copywritten, so I wasn't able to use it. If you guys want to see that other video, it is on YouTube. It's called something like Largest Ant Hill Excavated. You'll be able to see that. And uh, give them a huge shout out over there from uh, Jason Zelda uh for that video it's a very well done video very informative but just to let you guys know for those of you who saw the original answering the atheist video number one that one section there dealing with the largest anthill excavated youtube had me take that part out because they said it was copywritten so we're going to go ahead on with the video now answering the atheist video number one as we answer the questions that i've been posed and if you have any more questions feel free to post them in the comment section below and i look forward to hearing from you guys now let's get to the video Greetings everyone, Jason Zelda here with the next one in the video series. This one's entitled Answering the Atheist Video Number One. We're going to be dealing with some issues here. I decided I would uh, go on YouTube and just sort of search out some videos and I just simply wanted to find some videos put together by atheists who were simply asking Christians questions. I'm not looking for a fight, I'm not looking for a debate or an argument or anything like that. I just simply wanted to find an honest-hearted atheist that was genuinely wanting answers from Christians. What I kept running into, though, was a whole bunch of videos of Christians being attacked, the Bible being attacked, my God being attacked, my faith being attacked, my King James Bible being misrepresented over and over again, a vast misunderstanding of the scriptures. and. I just could not seem to find a video where it was just simply asking questions. Some of the videos had profanity in it. I don't want any profanity on my channel. So ultimately I had to settle for this video. It's called 10 questions every intelligent Christian must answer. So I decided to give it a spin and see what it's about. Let me give you a little background about this video first of all. In this video, the gentleman is reading from a website called God is Imaginary. So right from the very start, we're dealing with this concept that, to this person at least, he believes that God is imaginary. Therefore, the questions that he presents, he's presenting it in such a way as to convey that. The questions are designed to destroy your faith. And with the same kind of religious fervor that we Christians try to bring people to Jesus, there are some atheists who use that same kind of religious uh, fervor to remove people from the faith, 
to steer people from the scripture. So what I wanted to simply do is to give an honest answer for the questions that are being asked. The way he does it though is this. He asks a question. He gives an emotional response to the question and then he gives what he says is the Christian's response. So if you have an atheist giving what is supposed to be the Christian's response, then you could expect that we Christians are going to be made to look stupid, dumb, ignorant, backward. You name the term, we're going to be made to look bad. And that is exactly how the video is put together. In many cases, when he's claiming to quote the Christian response, he'll even put it in quotes. What I wanted to do is I simply wanted to give an honest Christian response to the gentleman's questions. Now I don't want to drag the video out too long so what I'm going to do is maybe answer the first five or six questions and then go ahead and post this to YouTube. If you guys are interested in hearing me answer any more questions just leave some questions down there in the comment section. If you want me to finish answering his other questions I can go ahead and do that too. I have no problem with that because I have answers for every single question he has on his list and the answers that I have is nothing like what he claims the Christian response is going to be. So what we're going to do, I don't want to be accused at all of taking the gentleman out of context, putting words in his mouth, anything of that nature. So what I'm going to do is I'll play out first of all his introduction all the way to where he gets to the first question. Then we're going to come back and review what he said. We're going to dissect it because there are some things that you need to see. If you're a Christian out there like me, this video is going to be a learning process for you to show you the techniques and the strategies that are used by atheists to, to lure people away from the faith. I want to show you the styles, the techniques, the blend and blurs, the bait and switches, the trap doors, the minefields, the things that are set out there to trick you and to trap you. I want to try to warn you about these techniques that are used. When it gets to the questions, I'll play the question all the way through what he said. You'll hear the question, his emotional response, and what he claims is going to be the Christian's response. And then we're going to come back and I'm going to give you the real Christian response. So let's go ahead now and begin this video by playing his introduction. In this short video, I'm going to assume that you're an educated Christian. You have a college degree and you've been trained to think logically and rationally about the world we live in. For example, you might be an engineer or scientist, a doctor, pharmacist or nurse, a teacher, a manager or an administrator, a government employee, a business owner, an account rep, an executive, a lawyer, an accountant, a person working in the financial sector or human resources, an architect or designer, a software developer. In other words, you're a smart person. You know how the world works and you know how to think critically. If you're an educated Christian, I would like to talk with you today about an important and interesting question. Have you ever thought about using your college education to think about your faith? Your life and your career demand that you behave and act rationally. Let's apply your critical thinking skills as we discuss 10 simple questions about your religion. Here's an example of the kind of thing I'm talking about. As a Christian, you believe in the power of prayer. According to a recent poll, Three out of four doctors believe that God is performing medical miracles on earth right now. Most Christians believe that God is curing cancers, healing diseases, reversing the effects of poison, and so on. Okay, 
with the introduction you will notice first of all he's pumping up your pride telling you how intelligent you are now what's the purpose of telling you how intelligent you are the purpose is to pump up your pride to make you feel good about yourself and then he names all these different fields of work which basically covers just about anything to make anybody in all these fields think okay you're really intelligent but what's the real bottom line he wants to convince you that you're too intelligent to be a Christian and he wants you to use your brain to talk yourself out of believing the Bible but here's the trick you gotta remember this is an atheist that's trying to pull you away from the Bible he's counting on the fact that you don't know the book if you know the book you can nail these questions but you have to have the right one the King James Bible will nail these questions the new Bibles will set you up and I've been trying to warn people about these new versions for nearly 20 years now and you're going to see now in a little bit how this atheist used the new versions to attack God can't do it with the King James you can do it with the new versions so we're going to start off his introduction he's pumping up your pride my King James Bible says pride before destruction a haughty spirit before a fall he's pumping you up so that he can knock you down don't fall for it he also mentions at the very beginning of this of the, the video the title of the video is supposed to be 10 questions every intelligent Christian should answer yet at the very beginning of the video what do you have you have a crucifix he puts a crucifix on the screen now by putting a crucifix on the screen that shows me that he doesn't understand the difference between Orthodox Bible Christianity and the Roman Catholic Church they are not the same thing we use different Bibles we use different Bible manuscripts there's a whole bunch that's far different from Roman Catholicism and Orthodox Bible Christianity if you want more information about that on my YouTube page youtube.com slash Jason Zelda there's two documentaries there called things that are hidden from Roman Catholics or things hidden from Roman Catholics you can listen to those there are many Roman Catholics who have listened to those two presentations and had their minds really opened up and their eyes opened up because what he does is he simply shows the Roman Catholic from their own Bible that what they're being taught is not even in their own Bible and many Roman Catholics don't even know that so Roman Catholicism and Orthodox Bible Christianity is not the same thing but obviously this atheist doesn't know so he puts a crucifix at the beginning of the video underneath the crucifix he has what's supposed to be a Bible but when I tried to find those verses that are listed there it's from the book of Psalms but it is not from the King James Version so he doesn't know the difference between a real Bible and a fake Bible the fake Bibles have verses missing like Matthew 17 21 Matthew 18 11 Mark 9 44 Mark 9 46 fake Bibles take the Trinity out of 1st John 5 7 and a whole list of other things they take Lucifer's name out of Isaiah 14 you'll be surprised how the new Bible versions change what the Bible is supposed to say so here he is starting off his video with a crucifix and a fake Bible version he also says there's a poll 
Well, let me address that. Doctors, nurses, and those that are in that medical field, they all are fully aware that they are limited in what they can do. They can bandage you, they can stitch you up, they can take out parts, they can put in parts. There's things that they can do, but they know that there is a line that they can't cross. When they've done all that they can do, they have to take their hands off and let God take over from there. Because doctors, nurses, and those in the medical field are fully aware that they do not have the power to heal anybody. They can patch you up, but they can't heal you. If nurses and doctors and all could heal you, all the hospitals would be empty. So the poll is correct. Doctors, many of them do believe that God performs miracles because they know they did the best that they could do. And then something else had to take over to heal that body. So that's correct. What we're going to do is jump on to question number one. This one here I classify as the atheist atomic bomb. They believe that this question is the one question that if they catch a Christian at the right time, they'll destroy that Christian's faith. We're going to take a listen to the question, his emotional response, and what he claims is going to be the Christian's response. And then we're going to come back and I'm going to give you the Christian's response. So here's question one. Why won't God heal amputees? It's a simple question, isn't it? We all know that amputated legs do not spontaneously regenerate in response to prayer. Amputees get no miracles from God. If you're an intelligent person, you have to admit that this is an interesting question. On the one hand, you believe that God answers prayers and performs miracles. On the other hand, you know that God completely ignores amputees when they pray for miracles. How do you deal with this discrepancy? As an intelligent person, you have to deal with it because it makes no sense. In order to handle it, notice that you have to create some kind of rationalization. You have to invent an excuse on God's behalf to explain this strange fact of life. You might say, well, God must have some kind of special plan for amputees. So you invent your excuse, whatever it is, and then you stop thinking about it because it's uncomfortable. Okay. Here's the answer to the question right from the very start. Yes, we Christians do believe in prayer, but everything that we get from our faith comes from the Bible. King James Bible. Now, if it's not in the Bible, we don't accept it as part of our faith. So if you're going to question us with a question like that, you have to first show me from my King James Bible where exactly did God ever say that he would give you body parts back just because you believed in prayer. You show me it in here, then we'll start believing you. But you know, and I know, it ain't in there. And what you're counting on is to run into a Christian that doesn't know the Bible. Because if the Christian know it's not in there in the first place, they're not going to fall for your trick. God never said he would give you your body parts back. So why are you holding him to that? In order to push your point, you had to use emotion. You said literally, amputees get no miracles from God. 
Really? If you're watching this video and you're an amputee, like me, I'm an amputee. You want a miracle? I'll give you a miracle. If you're an atheist and you're watching this video, my God still answers prayer. Because I pray that you would watch this video. And I'm an amputee. I think it's a miracle for an atheist to sit back and watch a Christian video. Knowing that this Christian might have something in that video. Something possibly from the word of God that the atheist didn't know. That might turn that atheist into a believer. If you're watching this video and you're an atheist. I don't hate you. You're not my enemy. And I hope you wouldn't see me as yours. Okay. I just want to inform you about some things that you might not know. If you're watching this and you're an amputee and you've had prayers answered, you've had miracles happen in your life, I want you to leave a comment down below this video telling them what happened. Tell the atheists how God has touched you, how he saved you, how whatever it is, whatever the miracle was that God did for you, please leave a comment down below so that those who are atheists who think the way that this gentleman thinks that God doesn't give miracles to amputees, I want them to see that God loves the amputee as much as anybody else. You even went as far as to say, God completely ignores the amputee when they pray for a miracle. That, my friend, is low. Real low. Very, very low. So the pure answer to your question is simple. If God never said he was going to do it in the book, why are you trying to hold him to it? You're trying to trick Christians, and it's wrong. Question number two. I'm going to play his question, his emotional comment, and what he claims is going to be the Christian response, and then we're going to come back, and I'm going to give you the real Christian response. Here's another example. As a Christian, you believe that God cares about you and answers your prayers. So the second question is, why are there so many starving people in our world? Look out at our world and notice that millions of children are dying of starvation. It really is horrific. Why would God be worried about you getting a raise while at the same time ignoring the prayers of these desperate, innocent little children? It doesn't make sense, does it? Why would a loving God do this? To explain it, you have to come up with some kind of very strange excuse for God. Like, God wants these children to suffer and die for some divine, mysterious reason. Then you push it out of your mind because it absolutely does not fit with your view of a loving, caring God. Okay, once again, this question is arrived at from the atheist's lack of the knowledge of history. The lack of the knowledge of history. Let me ask the atheist first of all, if you believe this question is legit, could you please tell me what exactly did God do to starve these people? I mean, you're laying down a very heavy charge against him. The murder of young children by starvation, which is a very rough way to go out. 
So could you please explain to me exactly what did God do to starve these people? Don't give me he didn't do anything to help them. I'm going to show you where he did. But I want to know what exactly he did to starve them. Did he steal their food? Did he send angels down to steal their food? Did he sterilize the ground so they can't grow food? You've laid a serious charge at God's account with no proof and no evidence. And you say, why didn't he do something? Asking a question in the negative. I'm going to deal with your question by giving you a dose of history. By the sound of your voice, you sound like a young man. Maybe early 20s, maybe mid 20s. Might even be in your teenage years. I don't know. You sound like a young guy. So let me give you a little history because I'm not a young guy. Back in the 80s, when I was barely a teenager, there was only three TV networks in America. The main ones, ABC, NBC, CBS. All three of these networks to this day are very biased in their reporting. And back in the 80s, when I was growing up, those three stations were the only ones you had to choose from. So if they didn't tell you what was going on in the world, you didn't know. Well, the BBC over in England decided they were going to do a report on the hungry people in Africa. After the BBC did theirs, then finally the American press jumped in and began to show the American people what was going on over there. Once we found out what was happening, and we saw these, these kids, it was, it was so pathetic. These kids that were so thin, starving to death. The grown-ups looked like walking skeletons. It was scary to see that what in the world is going on here. The heart of the American people was broken. We couldn't believe this kind of thing was happening. I mean, we in America throw away enough food to feed a nation. So we were not going to sit back and allow these people to starve to death. Charities began to raise money. Christian and non-Christian charities began to raise money. People from all over started raising money to try to help these people out. Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie got together and wrote a song called We Are The World. And that song became a global hit. The song in and of itself brought in, according to this report here, over $60 million for the purpose of feeding these people. We stepped up, and so did other countries around the world to try to feed these people. So why then did they still starve to death? I'll tell you why. Many of these African countries are run by dictators and warlords. You give them a lump sum of money, and they'll take that money and put it in their pocket. Ethiopia was at war. So according to a report that I saw, I'll try to put it on the screen there for you, money was being given to their military to buy weapons. We didn't raise money for their military to buy weapons. We raised money for their government to feed their people. But the government could care less about their population. His mind was on the war. He wanted to fight and win this war. We send money. The money never seemed to go where we wanted it to go. So we started sending food and lots of it. We sent shiploads of food over there. So why then did the people still starve to death? Look at your screen. 
you see here report news report food left to rot on the docks that's right we sent shiploads of food over there look at this map here as you see how far America is from Ethiopia it's a long journey they had plenty of time to build warehouses storehouses whatever was needed to contain this food but they never did he didn't take trucks off the battlefield he didn't want to take trucks off the battlefield I should say in order to feed his population so once the ships got there they were told to unload the food on the docks and they did and that's where the food sat on the docks day after day after day after day under the hot African sun until it rotted and spoiled now who was responsible for this you blamed God you said God didn't hear the prayers how come God didn't hear the prayers of these kids when they cried out for food I would say if tons of food showed up God answered the prayer for the food but there was an obstacle in the way between the food and the people and it was the leader of Ethiopia at that time the dictator that ran the whole thing look at your screen here's a picture of the man now what do we know about this man well take a look it says here he's a Marxist-Leninist what does that mean what's the uh, religious philosophy of Marxist-Leninism well, let's take a look. The religious philosophy of Marxist-Leninism, it says right here, is atheism. So the man who starved his population to death was an atheist. He wasn't a Christian. So let me get this right then. An atheist leader starves his people to death. And you blame God for not doing anything about it? How exactly does that work? God heard their prayer and food was sent. But the atheist stood in the way and wouldn't let them get it. So how is that God's fault? When you look at this map here, this is the earliest map I could find, 2015, the hunger map. It shows you where the nations are that are still experiencing hunger and starvation. The ones in the green, not much starvation at all. And you'll notice most of these places are capitalistic countries. And then you look at some of the others that are really going through some really rough times before blaming God for these people starving you need to take a good look at their government and see who's running it to my knowledge there's not a single government on the face of the earth that's run from top to bottom by Christians I've said Christians I didn't say Catholics I don't know of a single government that's run top to bottom by born-again King James Bible believing Christians or King James Bible equivalent Christians so you can't blame us 
and you can't blame our God. But you'll find that many of these places out there are run by dictators who are atheistic. Communist, Leninist, Socialist, you name the ist, and usually there's atheism connected to it. Now you want to hitch your wagon to that? That's your choice. But I felt you at least had a right to know what history tells us. You want to follow the trail of blood? You want to follow the trail of death? You want to follow the trail of genocide? Look at these political groups whose roots are in atheism, like communism. And then ask yourself, do you really want to be a party to that? That mindset, that concept. Before blaming God for starving hungry people, take a look at their governments and point the finger at the right place. God didn't do it. These evil, wicked leaders did. Question number three. Third question. Why does God demand the death of so many innocent people in the Bible? Look up these verses. Exodus 35.2. God demands that we kill everyone who works on the Sabbath day. Deuteronomy chapter 21. God demands that we kill disobedient teenagers. Leviticus 20. God demands the death of homosexuals. Deuteronomy chapter 22. God demands that we kill girls who are not virgins when they marry. And so on. There are lots of verses like these. It doesn't make any sense, does it? Why would a loving God want us to murder our fellow human beings over such trivial matters? Just because you work on the wrong day of the week, you must die? That makes no sense, does it? In fact, if you think about it, you realize that it's insane. So you create some kind of rationalization to explain these verses. You ask, why is there so much death in the Bible? And you quote books like Leviticus, Deuteronomy. This comes from a lack of understanding of the atheist of the Old Testament, of the Bible. The books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are books of the Jewish law. These laws were not for everybody. It was for the Jews. The Jewish people were set aside by God to be his people, and they at Mount Sinai agreed to be his people. So he laid down his law that these are going to be the laws. If you didn't like the laws, don't be Jewish and you don't have to follow him. Because he never ordained non-Jews to build temples to him. He never ordained non-Jews to burn sacrifices to him. He never ordained non-Jews to do these things or to follow these rules. These rules were for the Jewish people. Now you ask, why is there so much death? Have you ever heard the term a deterrent? A deterrent. The penalty is so high that somebody would think twice before committing the crime. They don't want to do the time. They don't commit the crime. If they knew that the penalty for doing this is death, they're going to think two, three, four, five times before committing the crime. You talked about people being stoned to death and so forth. Guys, look, how many stories do we have in the Bible where teenagers were taken to the gates of the city and stoned to death? Tell me, how many's in here? 
How many stories are in the Bible of rebellious teens who got away with what they were doing? Ruined countries, ruined people's lives. These ones that were supposed to have been taken to the gate and executed, they weren't. The Jewish people were not following the laws that God set down. They weren't obeying those laws. Absalom, son of David, should have been put to death according to the law for what he did to his dad. But he wasn't. The priests who had the sons that were sleeping with the women that were coming to offer sacrifices in the temple, according to the scripture, they were to be taken to the gates of the city and stoned to death, but they weren't. So God laid down the law, but these laws were given to the Jewish people, not to everybody. And in the book of Acts, chapter 15, when the Gentiles had the Holy Spirit poured out upon them, in verse number 5, they were asking whether or not they need to be circumcised or command them to keep the law of Moses. And they decided in verse 10, it says, Now therefore, why tempt ye God and put a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Those laws were not meant for the Gentiles. That's why they had to ask whether or not to put the Gentiles under laws like circumcision and the laws of Moses. So the laws that you complain about were laws that were set aside exclusively for the Jewish people. It was not for everybody. And it's put together as a deterrent. And the people ignored the law anyway. So what God ended up doing was this. You heard the term a last will and testament. Of course you have. When does the will go into effect? The will goes into effect when the person who wrote the will dies. Who wrote the Old Testament Ten Commandments? God did. According to the New Testament, it was Christ that went with the children of Israel through the wilderness. It was Jesus that was doing all these miracles for them. It was him that was doing all these things. Therefore, it was him that with his own finger wrote those Ten Commandments on those stones. So before giving us a New Testament, the one who wrote the Old Testament had to die. The human race was not able to fulfill the Old Testament because it was designed in such a way that if you break one law, you're guilty of breaking all of them. The only one in the universe that could obey those laws was the one that wrote them in the first place. And that's God. So God, who couldn't die, took on a human body that could die. So that he can put to death the old law, the ordinances that were against us. He nailed it to his cross so that they're not against us anymore. And then he gave us a new testament. Under the New Testament, we're not under the bunch of thou shall not, thou shall not, thou shall not, thou shall nots anymore. We're under grace now. We believe that when Jesus died on that cross and he said, it is finished, it's finished. He didn't say to be continued. He didn't say, okay, I've done my part, so now it's time for you to do your part. No, he said it's finished. He finished the old law and we're not under that anymore. And that means everybody now. The Jewish people don't have to be under it. The non-Jewish people don't have to be under it. All of us can now come together in Christ. 
and have our sins forgiven by believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that when he died on that cross he paid for all of our sins we can't earn it we can't pay for it we're not going to get to heaven on judgment day stand before God and say you need to let me in because I did this and I did that and I'm so good and and I'm a good person that's not going to cut it anybody that makes it to heaven is going to make it there by one way they believe on Jesus Christ that he died on that cross for their sins period not because of anything we've done not because of anything we've done it's because of what he did for us so the question is simple why was there so much death because these laws were set aside for the Jewish people they were to be a peculiar people a unique people a theocratic people but they could not abide by the law so God was not going to lie and change his law he just decided to come and fulfill the law and then once the law is fulfilled he scraps it and gives us a brand new testament where we're not under those ordinances anymore that's the story of the Bible and that's the answer to your question. Now on to the next question. Question four. Why does the Bible contain so much anti-scientific nonsense? You have a college degree, so you know what I'm talking about. You know how science works. You happily use the products of science every day. Your car, your cell phone, your microwave oven, your TV, your computer. These are all products of the scientific process. You know that science is incredibly important to our economy and to our lives. But there's a problem. As an educated person, you know that the Bible contains all sorts of information that's total nonsense from a scientific perspective. God did not create the world in six days, 6,000 years ago, like the Bible says. There was never a worldwide flood that covered Mount Everest, like the Bible says. Jonah did not live inside a fish's stomach for three days, like the Bible says. God did not create Adam from a handful of dust, like the Bible says. These stories are all nonsense. Why would an all-knowing God write nonsense? It makes no sense, does it? So you create some type of very strange excuse to try to explain why the Bible contains total nonsense. Now this is one I've been looking forward to. In your presentation here, you covered so much stuff that it's going to take me a little bit to cover everything but everything will be covered and we're gonna have some fun because I love science I really really love science so this is where I am in the middle of all this you said quote the Bible contains all sorts of information that is total nonsense from a scientific perspective is that right you really believe that my King James Bible contains total nonsense when it comes to science. I want to ask you, as a friend, remember, I'm not attacking you, I'm not raising my voice at you, I'm not doing anything. I'm just simply asking you a question. You really genuinely believe that this Bible has no science in it. Why do you believe this Bible has no science in it? How much science would I have to show you to prove to you that this King James Bible has legitimate science in it? Not only does it have legitimate science in it, it 
talked about things of science long before modern day science even figured it out. It was already in here. And I'm going to show you the proof. How much science would I have to show you to convince you? Let's go ahead and get started. This here is a chart. I'm going to put it up on your screen. Scientific proof of the Bible. Remember, when you're looking these verses up, do not use the so-called modern versions of the Bible. They are fake, they are frauds, and they change what the Bible is supposed to say. Use the King James. It's different. It's translated from completely different manuscripts than these new Bibles. If you want to learn more about this, this King James Bible is not hard to understand. It's not hard to read. On my YouTube page, youtube.com slash Jason Zelda, I have a video up there called Answering the Critics of the King James Bible. I explain to you what the these and thous and yees mean. They're in here for a reason. They have a special meaning. You can't just take those out and replace it with the word you, as the new Bible versions do, or you're going to end up destroying verses of the Bible. It's very important that you watch that video so that you'll understand the difference between this King James Bible and all those other ones out there that have changed what the Bible is supposed to say. When you go through these verses, go through them with the authorized King James Version, not the one called the New King James. That's a fake. You want to stick with the authorized King James Version. I'm going to cover some things real quick. I'm going to give you what the science is, where in the Bible it's found. The fact that air has weight is mentioned in the Bible in the book of Job, chapter 28, verse 25. You can read verses leading up to it to read it in its context, and you'll see that it points out the air has weight. Scientists discovered that in the 16th century. Scientists found that out much later down the road. The earth is round, Isaiah 40:22. He sitteth on the circle of the earth. The earth is round, according to the Bible. Oceans have natural paths in them, Psalms 8, 8. They discovered that in 1854, according to this chart. But it's been in the Bible since the days of the books of Psalms, thousands of years ago. It's been here in the Bible. There's a place void of stars in the north. The book of Job 26.7. You can go online and you will see that scientists have discovered that it's very strange that there is a section in outer space that is void of stars. The Bible already told you that was up there. The earth is held in place by invisible forces. Job 26.7 The earth sits on nothing. The Bible tells you that. How do the ancients know that the earth is just floating around out there? It's in the Bible. My King James. Early diagnosis of leprosy. Leviticus 13. You are to quarantine people as disease control. 
Leviticus 13. It's all in the Bible. Blood is necessary for life. Leviticus 17.11. The earth was in nebular form initially. Genesis 1-2. When the earth was originally made by God, he made it without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Light is a particle and has mass. Job 38-19. Is that science or not? The ocean contains fresh water springs. Job 38.16 These are things verifiable by science, guys. You said there's no science in my Bible. An infinite number of stars exist. Genesis 15.5 No matter how far we look out there with our telescopes, even the telescopes we have in outer space, we cannot seem to get beyond the stars. Everywhere we go, there's stars, stars, stars. Everywhere we go. The Bible already told you that. Let's see here. Light can be split up into component colors. Job 38.24 Matter is made up of invisible particles. Hebrews 11.3 Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so the things which were seen were not made of things which do appear. That's in my Bible. The things that we see are made up of things that we can't see. Atoms. always in my Bible. All they had to do was read it. They would have found out. The water cycle. Ecclesiastes 1.7. Not only is the water cycle in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. You have four cycles in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. It says a generation comes, a generation goes, but the earth remains. So you got the life cycle. The sun rises and the sun sets and hastens back. You have the solar cycle. It says the winds blow from the south to the north and then back to the south in its circuits. you got the wind cycle. And then it says the rivers run to the sea, yet the sea is not full once the waters begin, so it returns. The water cycle. Life cycle, solar cycle, wind cycle, water cycle. In my King James Bible, all verifiable by science. And they told you there's no science in my Bible. They lied to you. Why did they lie to you? Because they didn't want you to know the secrets of this book. That's why. There's more. There's a lot more. I'm going to have some fun because I love science. So give me just a minute, guys. You mentioned about Noah and the flood. I'm loving this. I'm absolutely loving this. You kept saying, as the Bible said. You said, God didn't make Adam from a handful of dust, as the Bible said. Could you please show me in my King James Bible where it says, God made Adam from a handful of dust. You said, as the Bible said. But it's not in here. It didn't say how much dust he used. You said Mount Everest. 
as the Bible said. Again, can you show me in my King James Bible Mount Everest? Because you said as the Bible said. See, you're putting stuff in the Bible that's not there. The Bible said the waters of the flood in the days of Noah got above the highest mountain. So how do we know that Mount Everest was the highest mountain four or five thousand years ago when the flood happened? We don't know. But I do have an answer for you because you said it didn't happen. I'm going to show you the evidence that it did. Because there's science that's hidden from you that I would hope you'd look into. And I think I'm going to make this the last question because I'm looking at my clock here. I'm at 44 or so minutes right about now. I want to make this first video about an hour. And if you guys want some more answers to questions, just let me know and I'll do it. But right now I want to deal with this issue here of Noah and the Flood. Many people, when they think of Noah and the Flood, they think of it rained 40 days and 40 nights. But they don't take into account that the King James Bible has a second source for where the water came from. The King James Bible says the fountains of the great deep were broken up. So the Bible is trying to tell us that down deep within the earth is a massive amount of water. So much water that when that water was brought up to the surface in the days of Noah... There was so much water that it covered the highest mountain. Now, the problem that a lot of people have today is that this is the image that they often present of what the earth looks like on the inside. When I was going to school, that's the image that they presented. And they presented it as if it was absolute, unquestionable fact. Then a few years ago, there was a discovery made. So which one is right? The science books which says there's no water according to these pictures. You don't see any water in these pictures. Or is my King James Bible right that down deep within the earth is a large amount of water. So much water that if it came to the surface it would more than cover the highest mountain. I'm going to quote for you, or actually what I'm going to do is even better than that, because I want you to do some research as well. Underneath this video, you're going to see a bunch of links. I'm going to name them off for you. I'm not talking lunatic fringe websites. I went to legitimate, straightforward websites that many of you would consider as authorities. I'm talking about the UK Daily Mail from December 6th. 2016, the Huffington Post, PBS, Earth.com, LiveScience.com, Washington Post, USA Today, and Time Magazine. All of these sources verify that the video that I'm about to show you is correct. And you can read the proof from all of these other sources. Take a look at this video. New evidence suggests Earth's oceans might themselves be just a drop in the ocean. Scientists now theorize there's more water hiding beneath the planet's crust. A lot more. 
A team of U.S. geophysicists has released a paper detailing a suspected rock layer in the Earth's mantle that could hold roughly three times the water present in all of the planet's surface oceans. BBC reports scientists credit a mineral called ringwoodite, which has a sponge-like crystalline structure that's perfect for trapping and holding hydrogen and oxygen atoms. So it's not H2O down there, but rather hydroxide, one atom each of hydrogen and oxygen. In March, scientists at the University of Alberta discovered a natural diamond carried up from Earth's mantle by way of a volcano. It contained the first known sample of ringwoodite and led scientists to theorize there was a lot more where it came from. More recently, scientists used seismometers to track the progress of shock waves triggered by earthquakes. The way the waves moved suggested there were vast deposits of ringwoodite slowing them down. As new scientists put it, it takes them longer to get through soggy rock than dry rock. But there has been a hypothesis that maybe the deep earth has a lot of water. We found it. This is, this is the, the direct evidence. The confirmation supports other theories. For example, that Earth's original water came from within and not from space aboard comets. One of the study's co-authors told The Guardian, I think we are finally seeing evidence for a whole Earth water cycle, which may help explain the vast amount of liquid water on the surface of our habitable planet. But this water reserve is out of reach, at 440 miles down in the mantle. The deepest humans have ever drilled into Earth is 7.6 miles at the Kola Superdeep Borehole in northern Russia. In any case, the water is probably better off down there. We'd have trouble with sea levels four times higher than they are now. Scientists now want to determine whether the layer of ringwoodite extends all the way around the globe. In the meantime, their findings have been published in the journal Science. For Newsy, I'm Bryce Sander. So scientists have discovered a massive ocean of water under the surface of the Earth. Deep. Just like my King James Bible said. At least three times or more water is down there than there is up here. So let's take a look at the water up here. When we look at a map of the earth, we see all this water. But I want you to take note that you're seeing the top of it. This water goes down quite a ways. The deepest part of the ocean is over six miles deep. That's pretty far down. The highest mountain is over five miles, over five miles tall. They say there's more water down underneath the earth than there is up here. So if the water up here can get as low as six miles, and there's at least three or more times that amount down deep, if that water comes to the surface, as the Bible said it did, It would be more than enough to cover the mountains. Just like the Bible said. I decided to download Google Earth to see if I could find any signs of the flood. A crack, or many cracks, in the Earth. And you'll find it very interesting as you download Google Earth. The number of cracks that span pretty much the entire duration of the planet like this one here that I'm tracing this crack goes all the way down basically from uh, Iceland all the way down to the bottom of the earth and curves around and comes back up the other side of the planet sort of back up a little bit and see here so you can see it's still this crack going all the way around the planet all the way around 
very interesting uh, geology underneath the earth there because so it's still following the crack and you see it goes right up strangely into that area there where the Bible talks about in the African Egypt Red Sea area where this particular one that I was looking at goes to. Could that be where the fountains of the Great Deep broke up? Remember, they said there's so much water down there. There's way more water down there than up here. So it just cracked through all that ground all the way around the entire planet. Flooding the entire planet. As we consider this issue where this atheist gentleman claims there's no science in my Bible. I want you to think of something. My King James Bible says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Well, I find something very interesting when you do go to the ant. Many of us, when we think of ants, we think of the anthills. And we don't realize that the larger the anthill, the larger the city that they built underground. Someone decided they would take liquid metal and pour it down an anthill, let it cool, and then dig it out because he knew that the metal would take on the shape of whatever the ants built underground. He would then dig it out and then wash it off and see what shape comes out. Now those of you who've never seen this before, prepare to be blown away. Absolutely blown away by what you're going to see. As we obey what the King James Bible says and consider the ant. There are people now who are making big money doing this. Different ants make different things underground. Maybe it could be you who could make money off doing this. I don't know. But some of you have never seen this before. And since the atheist says there's no science in my Bible, let me just give you guys a little taste of some very interesting stuff that is in my King James Bible. I will give you this considering the ant. He starts with a very well-insulated garbage can in which he melts aluminum. We're going to try to do the full crucible. The cast will sacrifice the lives of the ants, but it will also provide useful research on their mysterious underground colonies. I don't do it lightly, actually. When the temperature gets to be about 1,200 degrees Fahrenheit, that looks pretty good. Huh? The aluminum melts and it's ready to pour. We have it. Ready? Don't try this on your own. Wow. And so that's just going deep into the earth's yeah, several is, feet down. It's, it's really very good so far. After only a few minutes, the metal hardens and it's time to dig it out. I think this is going to be good. Wow. Yep, there it is. With a lot of hard digging, the little chambers and tunnels of the colony are unearthed. You can see that where there's a lot of traffic that is near the surface, yeah. the, the shaft is actually a, a ribbon, a wide tunnel, like a superhighway. Oh, yeah. The more traffic it has, the wider it is. And down below are the storage rooms. They store seeds, in fact, no, the, this... There, there's some seeds. Mm -hmm. After about seven hours, it's finally time to lift out the casting. Wow. Isn't that something? Like a chandelier. Okay. In fact, today's cast is 
a winner. Now this is the best metal cast I've ever made. Certainly the biggest by far. Who knew that tiny ants could be such natural designers, or that the study of ants would reveal such beauty? There's actually more art in science than most people suspect. The casts also reveal just how very different ant species are from one another. Can I hold it? Yeah, sure. You could use this in a barroom fight. Oh, wow. It's, That's so... it's our, our biggest ant. You can see some of Walter Chingle's castings in museums around the country. Or better yet, find real ant colonies all around you. Just look down at your feet. Now that's pretty interesting, isn't it? I bet many of you never knew that underneath your feet, these ants had built such amazing structures. And just remember, the King James Bible told you, consider the ant and now you have an idea as to why this book is filled with wisdom for you Ecclesiastes Proverbs are two books in the King James Bible that is filled with wisdom that'll help you in your life so we're going to continue on with this video dealing with the Bible and science I hope you guys are enjoying it this gentleman was told there's no science in my Bible. We've been dealing with this issue of science in my King James Bible. We've coined out a lot of stuff of science in the King James Bible. The Bible speaks of DNA. Of course, it's not going to use the word DNA because DNA is a modern term. The Bible identifies DNA by several terms. Seed, generations is another word and a book and David talks about the book that contains all his members we'll put it on the screen for you in thy book all my members are written scientists have learned that DNA is a very very complicated book it has letters it has punctuation it is a digital code that could not be created by random chance it is way too complicated and people who deal with DNA knows that now I want to show you a couple of videos to help you understand what I'm talking about DNA is a book I'm going to show you the proof these are short videos just take them in and so you can understand better of what I'm talking about to prove that when this King James Bible is talking science, it's telling you the truth. Scientists today have learned that DNA is a book. They've learned how to read the book. They've learned how to rewrite the book as they're creating their own synthetic DNA now. Which shows, by the way, that you need intelligence to create DNA. And they've also learned how to edit the book of DNA. Now they can make genetically modified food, genetically modified plants, genetically modified animals, and coming soon, genetically modified human beings. Check out the video. Every human being starts out the same way, 
Two cells, one from each parent, found each other and became one. And that one cell reproduced itself, dividing and dividing and dividing, until there were 10 trillion of them. Do you realize there's more cells in one person's body than there are stars in the Milky Way? But those 10 trillion cells aren't just sitting there in a big pile. That would make for a pretty boring human being. So what is it that says a nose is a nose and toes is toes? What is it that says this is bone and this is brain and this is heart? And this is that little thing in the back of your throat you can never remember the name of. Everything that you are or ever will be made of starts as a tiny book of instructions found at each and every cell. Every time your body wants to make something, it goes back to the instruction book, looks it up, and puts it together. So how does one cell hold all that information? Let's get small. I mean really small. Smaller than the tip of a sewing needle. Then we can take a journey inside a single cell to find out what makes up the book of you, your genome. The first thing we see is that the whole genome, all your DNA, is contained inside its own tiny compartment called the nucleus. If we stretched out all the DNA in this one cell into a single thread, it would be over three feet long. But we have to make it fit in a tiny compartment that's a million times smaller. We could just bunch it up like Christmas lights, but that could get messy. We need some organization. First, the long thread of DNA wraps around proteins clustered into little beads called nucleosomes, which end up looking like a long beaded necklace. And that necklace is wrapped up in its own spiral like an old telephone cord. And those spirals get layered on top of one another until we have a neat little shape that fits inside the nucleus. Voila! Three feet of DNA squeezed into a tiny compartment. If only we could hire DNA to pack our suitcases. Each tiny mass of DNA is called a chromosome. The book of you would have 46 chapters, one for each chromosome. 23 chapters of your book came from your mom and 23 chapters came from your dad. Two of those chapters, called X and Y, determine if you're male, XY, or female, XX. Put them together and we get two almost identical, but slightly different sets of 23 chapters. The tiny variations are what makes each person different. It's estimated that all the chapters together hold about 20,000 individual instructions called genes. Written out, all those 20,000 instructions are 30 million letters long. If someone were writing one letter per second, it would take them almost an entire year to write it once. But it turns out that our genome book is much, much longer than just those 30 million letters. Almost a hundred times longer. What are all those extra pages for? Well, each set of instructions has a few pages of nonsense inserted that have to be taken out before we end up with something useful. The parts we throw out we call introns. The instructions we keep we call exons. We can also have hundreds of pages in between each gene. Some of these excess pages were inserted by nasty little infections in our ancestors, but some of them are actually helpful. They protect the ends of each chapter from being damaged, or some help our cells find a particular thing they're looking for, or give the cell a signal to stop making something. All in all, for every page of instructions, there's almost 100 pages of filler. In the end, each of our book's 46 chapters is between 48 and 250 million letters long. That's 3.2 billion letters total. To type all that copy, you'd be at it for over 100 years and the book would be over 600,000 pages long. Every type of cell carries the same book, but each has a set of bookmarks that tell it exactly which pages it needs to look up. So a bone cell reads only the set of instructions it needs to become bone. Your brain cells? They read the set that tell them how to become brain. If some cells suddenly decide to start reading other instructions, they can actually change from one type to another. So every little cell in your body is holding on to an amazing book, full of the instructions for life. Your nose reads nose pages, your toes read toes pages. And that little thing in the back of your throat, it's got its own pages too. They're under uvula.
Now, scientists have come up with this thing called CRISPR, C-R-I-S-P-R. This CRISPR system is used to take DNA and rewrite it. It's a book. And they're learning how to rewrite the book. I find it interesting, though. God put together a book. And he also wrote the book of DNA. At the end of this book, he warns you, don't add to it and don't take away from it. There are scientists who are taking the other book that God wrote, the book of DNA, and they're adding to it, and they're taking away from it. And I'm really wondering what's going to end up happening in the long run. I'm going to try to squeeze this last piece of science in, because this is very interesting. Quantum science. When I was growing up, I was told the atom was the smallest thing in the universe. And then somebody came along and said, but what's the atom made of? And everything changed. Science began to look below the level of the atom to try to find out what's there. And when they did, they discovered an entirely new dimension called the quantum dimension. In the quantum dimension, it doesn't operate like ours. And scientists are mystified by this. Einstein was mystified by this. You see, in the quantum dimension, when you get down to the super, super small, below the atomic level, to use a modern day expression, we're used to the light switch is on or the light switch is off. Computers operate that way. It's called binary. Either the switch is on, which is a one, or the switch is off, and that's a zero. In the quantum world, though, the switch can be on or the switch can be off or the switch can be both at the same time. I didn't say light switch in the middle. I said both at the same time. It's both on and off. If that makes your brain hurt, then you're understanding how the scientists feel that they're trying to understand how this works. They have seen how a molecule can be both here and on the other side of the universe at the exact same time. But it didn't have to travel from here to there. It's just here and there. It's the same molecule. So how is it both placed at the same time? But that's how things are in the quantum world. Ponder that. In the quantum world, something is, yet it isn't, but it is. It's both here, and it's there, and it's both. Now let's take a look at the King James Bible and see if we find some things in here that sounds very much like quantum talk, where something is one place and something is another place, yet they're in both places at the same time. We're going to go to the book of John, chapter 3, verse 13, the words of Jesus. Listen closely to what he says based upon what I was just talking about. No man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Where was Jesus standing when he made that statement? He was standing on earth, but he's saying at the same time, he's in heaven. Maybe he's trying to convey to us something that goes way beyond what we even understand.
because he didn't do it once. He did this several times. Let's go to John chapter 14, verse 3. Jesus says, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So I want you to notice he's saying, Where I am, present tense, there ye may be, future tense, also. So this is another instance where Jesus is speaking of himself being two places at once. In John chapter 17 verse 24 we have a third instance of Jesus speaking of being two places at once. John chapter 17 verse 24 he says, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Now wasn't the ones who the Father gave him already with him on earth? So obviously he wasn't talking about being with him here. He's talking about these disciples being with him in heaven where he's there in all his glory. So we have three instances here where it sounds very much like Jesus is using quantum style speech of speaking of being two places at once. But there's one in the book of Revelation that really got my attention about a future event. And I want to read this one to you as we close down this video. In the book of Revelation chapter 17 verse 8, it describes a beast that's going to come to the earth in the future and wreak havoc on this earth. Listen to how this beast is described. It says, The beast that thou sawest was, and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they shall behold the beast that was, and is not, and yet is. Once again, the King James Bible speaking in quantum speak, about a future coming beast that's going to come to this world and wreak havoc in the future. So, for the gentleman who said that the Bible has no science in it, we've covered a whole lot of science, and there's one link that I want to point you guys to at the bottom of the page. 101 things mentioned in the Bible dealing with science. I'm going to include that in the link below. It's an interesting study, guys. We dealt with the first four questions of a 10 question series and I hope I've given you guys some information that will help out help you understand and help you probe deeper there's so much in this King James Bible and I find it so interesting that so many people both inside and outside of Christianity are fighting so hard to prevent Christians from reading the King James Bible and there's so many nuggets that are in here that they don't want you to have there's information in here that the new Bibles don't have in it they took it out. This has it all in there. So what are they trying to hide from you? If you're an atheist and you've never picked up a King James Bible and read it, I challenge you as a friend. Again, I'm not yelling at you. I didn't yell at you not one time. We don't agree. That's okay. We don't have to agree. But I at least want you to take an opportunity to pick this up and start reading it. 
like I said, if you have trouble understanding the these and thous, it isn't a lot of them in there. I mean, people make it sound like every other word is thee or thou. That's not the case. But if you need some help with it, just go ahead and watch my little video called uh, Answering the Critics of the King James Bible, and it explain it to you. There's information in here you need to know. It tells you what's going to happen in the future. Very interesting stuff when you get in here. There are secrets in here people don't want you to know. So they're trying hard to flood the zone with fake Bible versions so that nobody will read this. I'm hoping you would read it. I'm hoping you would take the opportunity to try to find out what they don't want you to know. If you're an atheist and you watch this video, you heard the questions, you heard me give answers. I backed this stuff up with documentation, with proof, with the Bible, with history, the things that I could bring up to try to help out. Now let me give you a quick message. We're all sinners. We've all blown it. Okay? Bible already gives us Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are given to the Jewish people. But we can look at those Ten Commandments and realize we've blown it. We've broken at least one. And the Bible said you break one, you're guilty of breaking all of them. Okay. But the Bible also says God would that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. He doesn't want to have to judge us. He doesn't want to have to condemn us. While men are trying to aspire to become God, the God of this King James Bible took the time to become a man. And he walked with us, and he talked with us, and he laughed with us, and he spent time with us, and he tried to show us the way to live. He came to this earth as the one we know as Jesus Christ. If there ever was a good man, if you want to assume that he's just a good man and not God, then understand it. Okay, fine. If he's just a good man, then accept him as a good man and read what he had to say about himself. He cared enough to come down here from heaven. And you heard these quantum things he had to say about himself. There's more to him than what meets the eye. There's much more to him. Why was he able to walk on water? Why was he able to heal the sick? Why was he able to, to change water into wine? Why was he able to control the weather? Why was he able to predict the future? Is he a quantum being? Or is he the one that created the quantum world? And he gave us just a little glimpse of it. And what did we humans do to him? The good man who walked among us. Who did nothing wrong to anybody. What did we do to him? We crucified him on a cross. And now they point their satellites to the heavens. Looking out into the stars. Trying to find what? trying to find other planets and you ask them why are they trying to find other planets they said trying to find them in the Goldilocks zone well why are you trying to find planets in the Goldilocks zone because they're hoping to find life out there why are they trying to find life out there because they're hoping to find alien contact why do you want to find alien contact because they believe in Darwin that we're going to be evolved to the next level you want to follow Darwin, I want you to look at something. Many of us are told that his book is called Origin of the Species. That's not the full title of the book. And it's a shame that so many people have never been told what the full title of the book is. So let me give it to you, and you can look this up and verify that I'm telling you the truth. This is the full title of his book. 
There's a big long title. It's called On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. Look it up and you'll verify I'm telling you the truth. Or the Preservation of Favored Races. Really, Darwin? So he believed one race is better than another. Could it be that this whole philosophy was built on racism? This whole Darwinian evolution nonsense is built on racism? Just by the title of the book. And why did they hide the full title from you? We as Christians, we don't hide nothing. We put our God right in the very front. In the very first book, in the very first verse, in the beginning, God. Right there at the very beginning, we put our God right up front. But they hide from you Darwin's real intentions by hiding from you the full title of his book. Just look into these things, guys. Jesus offers you forgiveness of sins. We've all blown it. He's willing to forgive you if you're willing to come and ask him. You don't have to do anything above and beyond. He never asked you to. You just come to him and ask him to forgive you of your sins. And he'll take it from there. Just like the doctor who does all they can do and they take their hands off and they let God do what needs to be done. In your life, you may have done all you can do and you just can't seem to get your life together. Or you pretend like it's together, but down inside, you know that you're just as empty as the day is long. Jesus Christ is God, and he cares enough about you that he came down here to this earth. He lived among us, and he tried to help us. And he offers us forgiveness of sins. We've all sinned. He offers it free. He didn't say you had to go to church every Sunday. He didn't say you had to join some religion. He didn't say you had to be good, whatever good is. He simply said, come unto me all ye that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. All those who come unto me, I will in no wise cast them out. You might say, well, you don't know what I've done. I don't have to know what you've done. Jesus knows what you've done, and he's willing to forgive you if you just come to him, pray, and ask him to forgive you of your sins. Would you be willing to do that? I'm hoping so. This is the end of Answering the Atheist video number one. If you guys are interested in any more videos on this topic, just leave me comments down below and I'll do some more videos like this when I have some free time, which I don't have a lot of right now. I got to head to bed because I got to wake up in a few hours, but I wanted to do this for you guys. Okay, so I look forward to seeing you guys on the next video. Until next we meet, may the grace of my God Jesus be with you. I'm Jason Zelda and I'm tapping out. Good night, everybody.